It has been such a wonderful day, and I know you all have incredible plans this afternoon, I hope. I also know that uh, Mother's Day has some mixed feelings depending on where you are in life. Some of you have lost your mothers, and this is a time of remembering rather than going to lunch or whatever your plans are today. Some of you had wonderful experiences with your mothers, and some of you have struggled in your relationship with your mothers. And we know that this is a season that can, uh, that can feel different for different people. What I want to share just a few minutes with you about, and, and I'm not going to share a, a, a lot with you this morning, because I think we've, what we have done so far is just so exciting in the kingdom of God that we could just walk out of here and feel great about what has happened. But I do want to share a few things with you. And I just want to thank all of you that have, have come to be here, those of you that came to support children that were being dedicated, those that were being baptized, and then those of you who support us uh, year-round. Uh, I'm glad we've got some, our family are here, uh, here with us today. We're excited to have them with us. And so uh, we're just thrilled to be able to celebrate this day with you. I want to share with you just a few verses from Psalms 127, or actually I want to share the whole chapter, but it's only five verses. Um, and in this story, it's not a story, it's a psalm, it's a, it's a prayer. It is the story of David. Now, I don't know what your experience is with David, um, but if you grew up in church, you're at least familiar with David and Goliath, and you're probably familiar with David fleeing from Saul, and you're very likely familiar with David and Bathsheba. Uh, you're probably at least familiar with those three stories. But if you will read through 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, 1 Kings, you will find a lot about David um, in there throughout his life, throughout his reign. And this particular psalm was written towards the end of David's life. And it was specifically written about his son Solomon. Um, before Solomon was crowned king to be his successor. And that's another great story, by the way. If, you're, if you haven't read the story of David right before he dies and before Solomon um, is determined to be the king, it's really an incredible story all the way through. So I hope that you'll do that. In fact, we'll probably do a few weeks just on the story of David because of his heart. And one of the interesting things about David is that he, he came after Saul but David and Saul were very similar men. They approached the world in a very similar way. They were both great warriors. They were both great rulers. Um, however, Saul messed up big time, just as David did. But there was one thing key that was in, in David's life that made him different from Saul and allowed him to retain the kingship. When Saul turned from God, it was taken from him. And that characteristic of David was consistently a heart of repentance. Now, he would mess up big, but he would come back and he would repent, ask God to forgive him, to restore him, and help him to follow him again. It's one of the reasons that we like David. It's one of the reasons that we read that uh, David was a man after God's own heart, even though David did some really horrendous things and made some really terrible decisions. I, I mean, he sent uh, a woman he was having an affair with, he sent her husband to the front line so he, could be, he would be killed so she, he could marry her. Uh, he did some terrible things. And what this constantly shows us is that God is not so much looking for us to be perfect or to somehow work out our salvation without sin. 
What God's looking for is a heart that is tender to their mistakes and willing to repent, admit those, ask for healing, and expect God and hope for God to restore them. That is what God is looking for from us, not perfection. And so one of the things I want to talk to you a little bit about is this prayer that he has over his son Solomon. And I really don't know of another group of people on the planet that struggles with a drive for perfection like mothers do. Mothers feel the need to be perfect in everything. They need to make sure their kids feel loved. They need to make sure they're nurtured. They need to make sure their needs are met. They need to make sure that they know that they uh, are their friend and they want everything to be perfect. I know uh, we've got some family coming over to the house after and so the house has to be perfect. And so Deidre worked really hard on that and we helped as well. Um, But it needs to be perfect. Whereas if you're coming over and I'm there, just kick it out of the way. You know, I, my need for perfection does not extend into my house uh, whenever you come over. So uh, I really don't know of another group of people that struggle with the desire to be perfect more than mothers. Um, and I think what this prayer does is it shows the heart of a father for a son. Now, you may be thinking, well, this is Mother's Day, not Father's Day. Um, but the reason I still want to share this with you is uh, because really we are the ones who somehow separate mothers and fathers. But really, it's just parenting, right? You know, in generations past, there may have been some more clear lines between the role of a mother and the role of a father. I, you know, one may have been provider, one may have been homemaker, one may have been decision maker, one may have been nurturer. But, you know, right now, is, is for many of you, especially those of you who are young and have very young children, the, we don't have some of those clear defining lines like we once did. Instead, it's much more of a team effort in every aspect. There are very few families that have stay-at-home parents anymore. Most of you are probably both working in addition to raising your children, which means that you're already tired when you come home and care for your children. Um, It means you're also probably struggling to have the time to somehow sometimes know how to deal with the problems your kids deal with. I, I I understand that in my own life, and we understand that in ours. So the reason I wanted to share this with you, even though this is about a father's love for his son, this is very much a parent overseeing their child, caring and raising their child, and what Scripture tells us, what he has learned, um, that means to follow him. So in Psalm 127, if you will follow along with me, starting with verse 1, we're just going to read through the five, those five verses. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. As we read through here, there are really four key instructions that I take out of this that I just want to share with you. And I I don't want to go into great detail, nor do I want to try to create some kind of one-size-fits-all parenting structure. Because your parenting will change based on who your children are. 
Each one of our children have been different. They've brought different joys. They've brought different struggles. They've brought different frustrations and different trials. Um, they've added to our family in different ways. Their personalities are different. Uh, and who they're becoming uh, as young people, as young adults, and soon uh, as adults are going to be different in the world. And so if I tell you how to parent your children the way I parent my children, I assume your kids are just like mine, and they're not. But there are some basic ideas that we can take away from Psalm 127 that just show us, especially those of you who struggle with perfection, show us how we can live our lives. Verse 1 says that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And verse 2 is... it strikes me to the core because as we talked about last week one of the things that you will find if you ask somebody how they're they're doing they will most always respond with the same answer things are just so busy things are busy and the truth is busyness makes us feel like things are going well we want to be busy at work we want to be busy at home we want to be busy in our lives but yet we often feel the struggle that that carries with it the stresses of always being busy. And it's interesting how many people like to be busy simply because it makes them feel like they matter. But verse 2, whenever I think about me being busy or I think about Deidre and I and our schedules being too busy, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep. One of the things that I think we can take from this that I would like to give you this morning is that your most important responsibility in your family is to point each other to Jesus. Your most important responsibility in your family is to point each other to Jesus. Now, I realize there are a lot of things you have to take care of when you have a child. In the beginning, you've got to feed them every single time, and every single time you feed them, that means you've got to change them unless you stop feeding them, but that doesn't go very well if you stop feeding them. You've got to change them. You've got to give them their bath. They're always wanting attention. Uh, as they get older, the lessons change, right? Don't run out into traffic. Stay right in the yard. You know, don't run out into the street. Stay right with me when we're out in public. Those are Really easy lessons, though, when you're in the midst of teaching them, they don't feel easy. You feel like you're going to pull your hair out and you want to go grab a leash and put your kid on a leash and that way they're okay. I don't know if any of you do that, but don't do that. It's not a good idea. But as they get older, those lessons get more difficult. They start having conflict at school. They start having conflict with other people. And you don't always have an answer for how to deal with it, right? You know how you dealt with it when you were their age, but things have changed from now and then. And sometimes if you tell, well, this is what I did when I was your age, you get that look from your children that says, you don't have a clue what the world is like anymore. You know, they, they know the world is not the same way it was when you were young. Of all the things you've got to take care of, getting them to their ball games, to their dance practice, trying to get them to all their after-school activities, make sure they're doing their homework, making sure they have time with their friends, they have time with their family, they're doing their chores, they're growing up in the way they're supposed to. All of those things have a tendency to crowd out the main thing. And the main thing is that we point each other to Jesus. 
That is the main role of any parent. And what this is talking about and what David is saying, and and keep in mind, the person saying these things is king. He is a popular king. He has been hugely successful. He commands hundreds of thousands of people. He is a man who understands busyness. But he has come to the place in his life, in the later years of his life, recognizing no matter what you do or how hard you work or how many things you try to take care of or how many needs you try to meet before they even know it's a need, how many financial resources you accumulate to help them get where they need to go, get through school, get through college, when marriages come and all of that, no matter how much you do and focus on those things, there is one primary responsibility that either makes it all worth it or makes it all fall apart, and that is reminding each other about Jesus. Because unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Now, that had some significance to David because up until this point, God had literally, but his physical presence had been shuttled from place to place uh, and he literally either lived in a tent or at this point, he had, the, the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be God's presence. And wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, that's where God was. And up until this point, there had never been a final house for the Ark. It had never been, there had never been a temple built for it. There have been times that because of the disobedience of Israel, they had been overtaken. And the Ark had actually been captured. And they, were, they did not even have possession of God's presence. But David brought the nation of Israel to a place of great prosperity. And he could have built a temple for the ark or for the presence of God. But he was instructed very clearly, David, you have a role to play. And your role is not to build the temple. Instead, you have blood on your hands. You have murdered thousands, all at the instruction of God. But it was not his place to build the temple. Instead, that right would come to Solomon later. And so David is saying, I, I could build the temple. I could go out and build a magnificent temple. But it wouldn't mean anything if God's not in it. So as you go through your days with your families and as you're thinking about all the things that you've got to do, all the things you were supposed to do that you didn't do, and all the things that you hope to do but you don't know if you ever will, In the midst of trying to teach your kids how to live on their own, how they can get out and be decent human beings and have a job that can sustain them so hopefully they won't live with us forever, remember that the most important lesson is that we point each other to Jesus. It doesn't matter how well they work. It doesn't matter how high their test scores are doesn't matter how good of a ball player or dancer or cheerleader or whatever they are it doesn't it doesn't matter how they how good they are at any of those things what is most important is that we have pointed them to christ the second thing that i I see in this is hope uh, especially when we do feel overwhelmed within um in our own family it We can certainly read that it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep. But you know how else you can read that? You can read that, that sure, we can work hard and without God, it won't matter. 
But we can also read into this that God will multiply your efforts when you include Him. God will multiply your efforts when you include Him. There are, there's, are times that I have met parents that are so super confident that they believe they are the best parents that have ever been. Do you know anybody like that? Aren't they fun to be around? Don't you like to get your families together so that when your kid does the absolute worst thing at the worst moment, they are there to watch with that look on their face? It wouldn't happen in my house. Don't you love those people? Have you ever had a time where you have felt like a failure as a parent? If you have, would you just raise your hand? Now, don't, I know you won't admit it in front of your kids, but they're not looking, and they don't even know. Yeah, you're looking. If you have ever failed, it is very easy to begin to doubt your own ability to parent. And one of the things that I love of what, what David is saying as he's preparing Solomon, who Solomon would come to be known one of, if not the wisest man in the world. He's parenting this child. He has come to know that in all of his frailties, because David is keenly aware of his failings. That is what made David so special. It was not that he didn't sin. It was that he rushed to repentance and requesting restoration after he sinned. He understood his failings. He knew what would happen through history. If you were with us through our series on Joseph, we see what happens. How a parent lives their life will often lead a child to live their life in the very same way. And so when we hear about those sins of the father, it's not talking about so much. Although there are instances in Scripture where this happens Along political lines, the children of a person are punished based on what their parent did, but those were political reasons. But in our own relationship with God, He doesn't punish my kids for my sin. He punishes me for my sin. There are consequences in my life for my sin. However, whenever my kids see me do something that's not healthy and I don't correct it, I teach them to do that thing that is unhealthy. So in those moments, when we are keenly aware of our failures and we are crying out for God, save my kids from me at times. To understand that God can multiply your efforts. You can spend 100% of your time and 150% of your energy trying to do it all right and you will never get there. But when God is a part of this, he will multiply your efforts. And I believe one of the things that David, at least Solomon, not all of them, but at least Solomon learned was that if you fall, quickly return. He saw his, day, his father's heart for Christ. And he saw how he continued to chase after God, even in those difficult times. I find this particularly encouraging whenever um, one of our kids... Uh, do something, and I'm not real sure how to respond. Uh, I find I am thankful that God multiplies my efforts. Whenever I look at them sometimes, and usually when they were younger, but when I would look at them and they would tell me something, like the boy on the screen, have you done your homework? Yeah. Well, I've started. Well, no, not yet. Uh, we often pray, God, help me to catch them, <laughs> Right? Help me to figure out what there's really going on. Help me to actually have a clear picture. God will multiply your efforts when you yourself can't do it all by yourself. I'm very 
thankful for that. A third thing I see in these short five verses, in verse three, that children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. As we read this, I think this is, I, I might categorize this as a warning. And my warning is not that your children are a reward or that they're a heritage. There's no warning in that. There's truth to that. But I would give this as a warning because what David is saying is, you are carrying my banner. This is my heritage that you carry with you. So as you walk and as you live, understand you carry my name, my history, where I have come from. Now, this gives us several things. Number one, it gives us a legacy. It gives us a history, a connection with something bigger and broader than ourselves. I myself am not just Mark. I am a product of my family, of my parents. I carry the heritage from my father and his father before him and his father, my mother and her parents, and so on and so forth. So that children, guys, you are an extension from your families. You carry their name. You have a responsibility to carry for them that which is good. And so certainly, children are a heritage, but they bear the legacy of their parents' lives, their teachings, and their priorities. Now, if I tell my kids, now go out and make me proud, they don't always know what that means, right? They don't always know what it means to make you proud. If they're going out and play a baseball game and I say, go out and make me proud, or football, or track, or volleyball, or whatever, they may think what I mean is go out and win one. And while I'm always proud when they win, those are not the things that make me most proud for them. And my guess is, in your families, it works the same way. I'm proud of them when they win, but I'm more proud of them on how they play the game. I'm more proud of them when they encourage another player who may not be doing so well. I'm proud of them when they are good sports. I'm proud of them when they listen to their coaches. I'm proud of them when they're contributing to the team and not just thinking of themselves. There are many things. They may not know when I say, go out and make me proud. But what we can do is teach them along the way. Everything you're doing with your kids, you're teaching them. And I will tell you this, every lesson that you have in your head that you want to teach them, that is not the lesson they will learn. The lesson they will learn is what you teach them through your daily habits and how you live your lives. That is the lesson that your kids will learn. And so if we have a time about every so many weeks that we talk about Jesus and we think, I I need to tell them this about Jesus right now, that's a good thing to do. But if we don't ever show or demonstrate Jesus beyond those occasional talks, that's not the lesson they're going to learn. So they are and they will be a legacy of who we are as parents. They will be a legacy of our priorities, of the things that we have taught them, of the things that we have showed them throughout their lives are important, that are most important in their lives. I hope that our kids will learn how important it is to love Jesus. How important it is not to just seek a life of fame and comfort and leisure, but seek a life of service and goodness, of wholeness. A life seeking after God's holiness to not only live according to His Word, but to speak with Him and to hear from Him and to walk hand in hand with Him as we have. 
That is what I hope for them. And so if they don't see that within our lives, if they never see a sacrifice for others, they will not learn the importance of sacrificing for others. If they never see us serving others, they will never learn to serve others. It doesn't matter how many times we say you should serve others. The lesson they learn is what we have done. And so recognize that your family, your children, bear your legacy, the legacy of your lives, your teachings, and your priorities. They are literally an extension of you. So when they mess up, you know where the blame is. It's us. I know why they did that. It's because that's the way I do things. They're an extension of us. How we teach. How we discipline. How we love. And how we love each other. That teaches them. A fourth thing we find in verses 4 and 5, like, Arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, you may be thinking, what in the world? Why would he write that there? How does that have to do with anything else of those previous three verses? It's like he talked about family, and then he went right into a bow and arrow and enemies at the gate. Remember who's writing this. This is David. David, whose head is sought by many people. This is a king who not only has many who love him, he has more who hate him. And so he recognizes that his time with his children is precious. And he recognizes they strengthen him. They bring him strength. They encourage him. And they're there with him. Whenever someone comes to to speak against you, you have your kids there to joy in. You have your children there. And as they get older, they can defend you as well. Your family... You're not just here to make sure that they become productive citizens of our nation. But your family is meant to strengthen each other and also to serve God together. That is what your family is meant to do. That is what David recognized his and Solomon's role together was. That they needed to strengthen each other and they also needed to serve God together. I think one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is to raise a child for 18 years. And never serve together. Because at the point that they move out, hope hope they move out. I mean, statistically speaking, they're going to be with you until they're 45. But hopefully around 18, they're going to start moving out. And if you haven't served together with them in that time, then you will not find that they, they repeat those actions. Your family is meant to strengthen each other and serve God together. I will tell you that we as a family, uh, we sometimes get tired. Anybody else? Sometimes we get tired of serving. We look at our schedules and we look at all the activities that we're a part of. Sometimes we think, let's just not do that. Let's just not go to church. I mean, we'd say that too sometimes. (laughs) Let's just not go to school. Let's just not go to work. Let's just not go whatever the responsibility is. Let's just not go. And sometimes... Sometimes we can truly get tired. But it is when we strengthen each other that we can help each other through those times. And if they learn that through life that you need to live in such a way to develop endurance for the willingness to serve, 
then you will have taught them something unique. Whenever we get tired, one of the things that really encourages Deidre and I, we look around at many of you, and you mimic many of these very same principles and priorities. And so in the moments that we're tired, you give us strength. You give us encouragement. In the moments that we think, you know what, we just need a break, we look over and we see others hand-in-hand serving as well. At times when we look at our families and we think, gosh, everybody else, we, they parent so much better than we do. And then we get to hang out with you and we realize you parent just like we do. <laughs> you just don't put any of that stuff on Facebook or Pinterest or Instagram. But it is watching many of you that gives us encouragement, and we hope in doing that with us, you're encouraged as well. Uh, moms, if I were to leave you with a message And dads, I would leave this with you as well, no matter how old your kids are, whether you do or do not have kids. It is through the love of Jesus in your lives that you will experience the power of God in your families. This can be an area of strength for you, or this can be an area of weakness for you. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. So as we move forward with all of the things on your plate, with all of the roles and responsibilities that you have every single day, of all the things you still have left to do today, let me encourage you, the most important thing you can do the thing that will bring you strength, the thing that will bring you joy, the thing that will encourage you that, you know what, you can keep going, you're doing a great job, is when we demonstrate the love of Jesus with each other. So I would encourage you to do that, not only today, but every day. I want to pray with you, then we're going to sing one more song. And um, I want to also encourage you that as you go out and pick up your children, um, There are some moms that are out there serving this morning on Mother's Day. Uh, Tell them Happy Mother's Day. Thank them for serving. And uh, also, you'll notice when you walked in the door, there's a big vase of of roses. Uh, We would love for all of the women here to pick one up and take one with you as you leave. So those are all for you. Just a small way for us to say Happy Mother's Day. Uh, I want to thank you for being here. What I'm most excited about are what we've seen with these children that have been dedicated and these lives that have been given to Christ, and we've seen them follow in their commitment to be baptized. I'm so thankful for all of you that have followed in that, and I'm excited for what God's continuing to do among our midst. Would you pray with me, Father? God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for the example of David in that even if we fail in so many ways, Lord, you have simply called us to love each other and to have faith in you. I pray for those that are in this room that are are struggling with feelings of of not being enough, uh, feeling that they're not good enough or they're not taking care of enough problems or meeting enough needs. I pray that you would infuse them with the confidence that by following you, by trusting in you, you can multiply their efforts. You can come alongside of them and help them as they raise their children. Father, I pray for those in this room, and some of us need to go back to our parents, and we just need to thank them for their service, their love, what they have taught us. 
to recognize that we are, are a product of their legacy. We are a heritage for them. I pray that you would help us to value our family and our friends and those who we are closest to. Father, I pray for those in the room who wish they had a family to be with today and they're struggling that they can't. Father, I pray that you would fill their heart in this moment knowing that they are a part of the family of God and that you are here with them, that we are all their family. Pray that you would encourage them and give them hope for your plans for their life. Pray that you would show them your great love and that they have the ability to demonstrate this kind of love to many families, not just their own. I pray that they would be filled as a result. Father, make us whole. Lead us to be healthy. And I pray that you would help us to not just to love you, but to love each other well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.